Welcome to another episode of 32 Questions. Uh, 32 Questions is our episode companion series where we talk to a politician that you're interested in and we ask them 32 questions. Um, Holly Kearns is the guest this month. She is a TD for Cork Southwest. She was first elected to Cork County Council in the locals in 2019, winning the seat by one vote. Never say that a vote doesn't make a difference. And that was after she co-founded the Cork Southwest branch of the Social Democrats. So she's sucked MTD. Uh, Like she did that on the back of having um, canvassed and campaigned a lot for the repeal the 8th referendum in 2018 on the yes side, just FYI. Um, So in 2020, she ran for a general election, um, age 30 taking the third and final seat in Cor- in the Cork Southwest constituency in the end. Since she's been elected um, as a TD, she's kind of become one of the most high profile and most talked about TDs in the Dáil, I think. Um, maybe that's not in government. And, you know, she's kind of increasingly recognised as this force for good uh, for, uh, by people from all political persuasions, really. Um with her kind of fearless challenging of government leadership failures, her very impressive speeches that kind of cut to the core of issues. She opposed the allocation of state funding to the Greyhound racing industry, which we'll talk about, and has done an awful lot of work um, in highlighting the issues around uh, the Mother and Baby Homes Report and the Unseal the Archive movement and loads of other stuff. And her profile and work has kind of piqued more interest, I think, in the SOC Dems as a party that is tapping into sort of a common ground for floating voters. Andrea, I know uh, Holly was on our list for uh, a good while now for 32 questions. Um, You're a fan. I am, yes. (laughs) Um, I, God, I don't say I'm obsessed with her because that's a bit weird, isn't it? Um, But I have a lot of time for her and I love what she does. And I find in my, in my WhatsApp groups, for sure, there's like, um, a big appreciation for her in the same way that uh, AOC gets it in the US. It's like she speaks the what we're thinking and not in a, a flouncy way. It's straight in, no kissing, says what she means. And especially when she's been like, especially on recently, we've like watching her on panels and that you've got the it's almost like the old school new school of politics going head to head where you have someone talking around in circles and just go, like not answering the question and just filling their time with gibberish and Holly's just straight in going what about this what about this and just doesn't back down and it's it's quite inspiring I suppose for a new generation of like oh I can be myself I can say what I think and I don't have to play by the protocol of what has gone before and I think that's what's really inspiring about her. Right. Yeah. I mean, she's very much a 21st century politician. Right. And you can, you know, I think you're really um, revealing something there in what you're saying, like how the the contrast between this new generation of politicians and and that's, it's not to do with age. It's it's about and, and, and the kind of the 20th century format of politicians. And that can also include some younger politicians who happen to be in parties like especially like Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael also. And like that contrast in in 
communication and how it's very, very clear that certain politicians who are very, and this is not like, you know, he just tells it like it is, but, you know, who are very um, authentic and open uh, and untrained in how they communicate versus, um, you know, I mean, I was listening to from, I don't know why I did it, uh, that interview Micheál Martin did on Morning Ireland the other morning. And it was as if like, he was just a doll that you were pulling a string on and he was just like saying all this like pat garbage, uh, meaningless kind of repetitive stuff that we've heard about COVID, like all the phraseology and stuff. And I think that's a huge divide in Irish politics. You know, you have a certain cohort of people who are much more um, adept at communicating and then you have another cohort of people who perhaps are institutionalized by politics or who are so media trained that they actually just sound like a parody of somebody just, you know, talking to the people. Obviously, I'm talking about Stephen Donnelly. And then you have uh, the kind of the old school who just talk in civil service language and Holly Kearns just cuts through, doesn't she? Yeah, she totally does. And I think there's definitely a new a new breed of politics coming through that we all are very appreciative of. And yeah, she's one of them. Yeah. Uh, this is the, the, the referent, the kind of the, the marriage equality and repeal referendum generation of, of politicians and politics. Uh, and so let's get into it. This is 32 questions with social Democrats, TD, Holly Kearns. Okay, Holly, here's your first question of 32. Are you ready for the quick fire nature of this format? Hope so. What is your morning ritual? Coffee. <laughs> What's your idea of perfect happiness? Uh, walking my dog. What's your dog called? That's not a question, hey, hey. it's a bonus question. <laughs> it's a bonus, bonus round. Hey, hey, she's named after the chicken in Moana, the Disney film. They're kind of similar personalities, so... Um, a lot of people seem increasingly angry at the lack of leadership uh, in government, um, whether that's, you know, lacking interview or interviews that are kind of lacking from Ehol Martin or like remarks from Leo Varadkar uh, that, that kind of rub people up the wrong way, I suppose, um, along with Stephen Donnelly's uh, vibe. Can you feel the shift in energy in this lockdown? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, um, with regard to the pandemic, it's really highlighted the lack of leadership that we're shown in terms of the real kind of ambition and bravery behind it. Um, and not just in relation to the pandemic, but in relation to so many other things um, like mother and baby homes in terms of redress and justice for survivors. There's a real, a real lack of leadership. And I think everybody's feeling that, I think, you know, for so long now society has been ahead of the government on so many issues in terms of progressive issues um, in terms of the approach to COVID-19 now and you know we constantly just see change dragging the government along rather than the government leading the change that I think the population wants and it's incredibly frustrating and causes a lot of disillusionment for people in relation to Irish politics. What is your greatest regret? That's a tricky one. I think maybe my most recent one is that, you know, just in advance of the pandemic, there was um, just election and election. So there was the local elections in May 2019 and then the general election in 
uh, February 2020. And I think most people who go through a general election campaign would say you become completely absorbed in it and you know, perhaps didn't make that much time for friends and family and since then haven't been able to see any of them due to the pandemic. So maybe a bit of regret in terms of balancing time in that sense. All of my siblings live abroad. Um, so, you know, just haven't seen them in so long. Bit of a regret. <laughs> what talent would you most like to have? Oh, I wish I could sing. Or be musical in general. I can't even clap in time. So, you know, <laughs> that would be nice. A party piece. Are you surprised by the level of media attention you get? And what do you think that's about? Yes, I am surprised. It wasn't something that I was prepared for. Um, you know, I wish I'd had media training or something in advance of all of this. Um, and I don't know why it is. Um, I think there's probably a couple of things, maybe. Um, you know, it was a surprise that I got elected. Um, I certainly wasn't predicted to. And I think that's an understatement. So I think, you know, as my kind of uh, very short political career kicked off, I got in by a single vote. Um, and that in itself was news, just that, you know, one vote, your vote counts, the difference that one vote makes. Um, so I think it was just, it kick-started with that. And then the kind of the underdog getting elected um, against the odds, like nobody predicted in a constituency that everybody presumes is very conservative. Um, constituency that I knew wasn't um, by virtue of campaigning for social referendums um, and that kind of presumption has always really bothered me, presumption that everybody in rural Ireland is just so conservative um, it's untrue and it's also quite offensive I think to people in rural Ireland. Um, so yeah I think it's just the and, the and the quick rise you know to go from zero to councillor to TD in the space of a year um, I suppose there's a bit of a story and it's starting out with one vote and um, and then it was, you know, with the general election, you know, Fine Gael have always had a seat in Cork Southwest. It's the heartland for them, really, in, in a sense, because the original Michael Collins is, is from here. Um, so for them to lose a seat in this constituency and for a first time um, candidate uh, from a more progressive party uh, was, you know, a bit of a story, I suppose. Do you think you've control over your own story? No. I don't feel like that anyway. Um, you know, and a, a lot of the stuff um, that I've ended up working on is, you know, like, like all TDs, it's like what things come into your office and come, come onto your radar and different things. Um, a lot of, of that has been in relation to women's issues. And I don't know um, if I get more than maybe other, other TDs do because by virtue of being the only female TD in, in Cork of 18 TDs, but, you know, a lot of stuff I would get in would be in, you know, say in relation to COVID-19, a lot of that's to do with domestic violence um, and the support services, particularly in rural areas, um, in relation to restrictions around maternity leave uh, during the pandemic, or not maternity leave, sorry, um, uh, maternity wards and hospitals, you know, that uh, women have been given birth on their own throughout the pandemic for the most part. Um, so a lot of stuff about that. And then in relation to uh, maternity leave for politicians, just something I feel strongly about that we need more women um, in politics, and that's a very obvious barrier that I think we need to approach. So a lot of what I've ended up working on, um, and I'm very, very happy to, is women's issues, but it wouldn't have been something that I'd necessarily predicted. So I suppose it's not that you don't have control, but you're guided a lot by what's going on in, in society at the time when you're in politics, I think. What is your motto? Uh, if you want change, vote for it. 
who is your dream dinner party guest? Um, let me think. I'd love to, I'd love to meet Mary Robinson. I'd love to have her over for dinner. Um, yeah, I'll go with Mary Robinson. What's your ambition? Um, I'd like to see a new progressive government in Ireland. Um, my ambition at the moment is very much to build the party. Um, you know, I know that we're very small at the moment, um, but we're growing quite quickly and I think it can feel like change is very slow. Um, but I've also experienced how quick change can be like that in the space of a year to get a, a council seat for the Social Democrats in Cork Southwest and TD. Um, you know, we went from zero to 19 councillors in the local elections and then tripled our TDs. That actually can happen very quickly. And I remember, you know, when this government was formed, I was so disillusioned. Like, I remember talking to one of my party leaders about it, Catherine, saying, like, I can't believe we're looking at another Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael government. You know, just, the, you know, takes so long to build and to, to grow and whatever you're saying. This is actually a very monumental change. You know, since the foundation of the state, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael would have had about 90% of the vote. And now they can barely hold a government together between them. So, change, you know, everyone can feel the tide turning and it is actually now starting to happen very quickly. Um, and I think there is a realisation that, you know, voting for just the person, which is completely understandable, like somebody who's helped you out with something in your constituency, somebody that you like, somebody who's in a party that perhaps your family have always voted for and you just, you know, have always done that. There's a realisation now, I think, that it's not about voting for the person and, and there's a move away from parish pump politics and realisation that actually you're voting for a policy. You know, we can't keep voting for the same thing over and over again, expecting something different to happen. And we see when you take party politics out of it, Ireland stands out so much in a European context and even in a global one in terms of voting for really progressive things like marriage equality, like reproductive rights. Um, and like that, I think there's a move towards just wanting a government that leads change rather than is kind of dragged along with the scruff of its neck by change, by people, by grassroots movements um, and social referendums. So, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of the biggest change, really the biggest overarching change from the last election. Um, <clears throat> people voting on, on national issues. Um, how do you prepare for your speeches? Um, a lot of research. Um, initially, start off by, you know, getting all your facts right and, you know, talking to different people. Um, at the moment, that's on Zoom. Um, but a lot of time, the engagement, like with stakeholders in relation to that speech. So, for example, talking about the fisheries and Brexit, we'd have uh, Zoom meetings and phone conversations with uh, not just actually people who work in the fisheries in, in my constituency, but, you know, people involved in like the islands and all that kind of stuff. And we would often have a focus on working with the groups who aren't often that as represented, you know, just to take the fisheries as an example. Um, there's producer organizations that represent different, different groups in the industry. And at the moment, the small scale um, fishing families, you know, that actually, you know, are the vast majority of people working in the industry, are the vast majority of boats in the, in the Irish fleet. And um, they're not represented by a producer organization. It's all the, the bigger players. Um, who at the end of the day in reality carry out the less sustainable practices. So their voices to date haven't really been heard. So we do a lot of engagement and understanding of what's going on in the bigger picture. Um, and then, um, you know, write the speech essentially. And when it's finished, I do like, you know, read it out myself at least twice um, before I go into the doll. And I still get incredibly nervous. I'm still very new to this, um, but just practice and research and engagement. 
what are your feelings on Stephen Donnelly's leadership and competency as a minister? Um, I suppose so far it, it doesn't stand out in, in terms of leadership. Um, you know, communication I think has been great from Fianna Fáil and the whole and oftentimes we get a lot of announcements through leaks from parliamentary party meetings and stuff rather than from the minister. Um, you know, they've refused to engage with opposition in relation to decision making around COVID-19, which I think is short-sighted and regrettable. Um, so yeah, I think it leaves a lot to be desired, you know, um, more engagement, I think, with, with opposition would have really helped the different views and, and stuff going forward. If everybody could have worked together like we kind of did initially in the pandemic, I think that was effective. Um, and I think it's a shame that he hasn't adopted that approach. What's your favourite song right now? Right now? Um, I think it's a song by Edward Sharps and the Magnetic Zeros, 40 Day Dream. Now that you're in politics, do you regret that your family farming business is called Brown Envelope Seeds? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, you know, and it's kind, it's kind of no coincidence as well. Like my, my mom's quite politically engaged and she's quite the activist. And, you know, I grew up on a, a small dairy farm. Um, I was reared on the income, imagine, of 16 dairy cows. My mom was a dairy farmer. And that would be completely unsustainable now if you couldn't make a living off of a small farm like ours, which is the majority of farms in Ireland. Um, and the way the policy has changed and incentivized farmers really to intensify production and put small farms out of business. Um, you know, my mum's a botanist, she's a scientist. It was Women in Science Day yesterday. We were both scientists, uh, we both did our master's in essentially plant science. And so she diversified into vegetable seed production. We're actually the only vegetable seed company in Ireland. And the name, the company name, I think was very much, um, you know, inspired by a lot of the corruption in Irish politics and the way that the agricultural sector was going and how policy um, is really negatively affecting the industry. So that really, it was kind of like an intentional link to politics, but we had no idea at that point that I would ever go into politics and become a TD. So yeah, it is quite funny. And this year we do, we do Christmas gift boxes every year, um, which we love doing. So we'd have things like, you know, grow your baby's first dinner or rainbow tomatoes. We like tomatoes, all the colours of the rainbows or, you know, seasonings, greetings with all the herbs. And this year she did uh, the political leaders, <laughs> which I was like, do you have to, mom? <laughs> politics. Like, oh my God. Tell us so, which, which seeds for which leader. Okay, so no prizes for guessing that Leah of Radcars was all leeks, all of our leek varieties. <laughs> um, Eamon's was, um, the, you know, growing on your windowsill. So like, you know, uh, mixed salad, uh, you know, all the things, the cut and, cut and come again. So they're great for people getting into growing. And we've had a massive um, uptake in, in people buying seeds this year because I think people have more time at home. So that's really great. More people are growing their own. So Eamon's is cut and come again salads, which is great for a new time grower that you can just have it on your windowsill. You don't have to buy a salad bag. It's like, you know, three euro for a packet of seeds and you get so many salad bags out of it. And then Mule Martins, she was very generous to Mule Martin, but I guess maybe we just couldn't come up with a good pun. His was a healthy stir fry. He's quite a health conscious person. And apparently there's a stir fry in the doll that's uh, named after him. So I, uh, she asked me to put one in his cubby hole in Leinster House, which I was like, I feel a little bit uncomfortable about doing that. But I saw him yesterday in the convention centre um, and just said it to him that my mum had asked me to give it to him that I put it in his cubby. So I felt a little bit less weird about doing it than it went in yesterday. <laughs> Seeds that definitely grow in the shade by the sound of things. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, how would you characterize the level and kinds of sexism, misogyny in the workplace culture of being a parliamentarian as you've experienced them? Like we know certain incidents like the liking of the really sexist tweet when you were talking about the Greyhound stuff. Um, but like, how would you kind of characterize that? I know it's kind of difficult working remotely, but obviously you are in the chamber sometimes. Is it very blatant or is it subtle or is it a mixed bag? I think misogyny is just so ingrained um, that often it is very subtle. And, you know, I have to say that I haven't experienced that much overt misogyny since starting in Leinster House. I feel like there was actually more at a, a council level, um, maybe slight more awareness of it in, in national politics. I'm not sure. But I suppose like one of the moments where it just it felt quite apparent was in relation to that, the, the Irish Greyhound board, a member of the board referred to me as an ignorant little girl or whatever, and then the Fine Gael TD apologised for liking those sentiments. And, you know, then I decided, like, I have to address this. And, like, oftentimes you don't want to when you talk about sexism and things like that. You're often sort of painted as a victim in the media and in society and stuff, and nobody wants that. But at the end of the day, we have to call it out because it's a consistent barrier. Um, so I kind of went in saying, I don't want to use my speaking time on this. And women all over Ireland don't want to have to address this. But we can't just bypass it either when it's so prevalent, so ingrained and so obvious. Um, so, you know, called out that member of the Irish Greyhound Board and challenged him to a debate on the actual facts that I was raising in relation to the industry. But I remember when I just looked around the room when I was talking about the misogyny and that we're all so sick of dealing with. I looked around the room and there wasn't one female TD in the room, except... Thank God we now have a female Lasky on corner. So there was a woman on the chair and also as a TD, but say of the TDs just present in the room, I was the only woman there. And I thought, God, the irony, you know? Um, so I suppose that's a good example of just experiencing it, that, you know, it is still kind of a, a man's world in Irish politics and in so many other industries too. Um, you know, the amount of issues, just like I said, you know, you know, constantly the stuff that I'm kind of raising is in relation to women's issues. But then there's the kind of more broader issues in Irish politics, like the cervical check scandal. Like there's so many things where I just feel like women are not heard or represented enough. Um, so it's just prevalent every day at work, I guess, in that sense. How do you think we get more women into politics? Um, I think there, you know, for one, there's things like the, the removal, you know, the, the addition of maternity provisions for, for female politicians at council level. Uh, for senators, for TDs, for ministers. I think that's a really important step. But it's also, I think that, you know, we have these kind of gender quotas for the amount of female candidates on tickets. And that's welcome. Like, I'm all for gender quotas. I know people, a lot of people are against them, but they're very effective. Um, and we've waited 100 years for it to just happen naturally or for women to, you know, defy the odds where they're all stacked up against them kind of a thing. Um, but like, having a, a quota for the amount of women on the ticket doesn't go far enough because, for example, we saw in loads of constituencies in the general election that, you know, Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael might pick their candidate that they want to see get elected. And then they put on um, another candidate who's female to tick the gender and geography box, so to sweep up votes in this part of the constituency. And I actually saw like a Fianna Gael TD quote in the newspaper saying, oh, we're looking at these two candidates because they tick the gender and geography boxes. So that's not a real attempt to get more women elected. That is an attempt to fill your quota of women on the ticket, you know? So I think it's really interesting. And like, you know, when I was uh, trying to decide which political party to join, when I became engaged in politics, I looked at all of their policies and that was really the thing that guided me because like I said, I have a bugbear with people voting for 
things that aren't in relation to politics. But I think there's also a really important point to be made in that, like, you can't endeavour to govern a society that promotes equality if it doesn't exist within your own party. So aside from policies of parties like Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, it would have been a big deterrent for me that they can't seem to reach gender equality within their own party. And they put thousands into this. I remember reading a figure that they put 200,000 between them into trying to engage more women in politics. But like, what are they actually doing? You know, and sometimes, you know, there's, like we talk about misogyny being so ingrained and these kind of, these parties are so old and the old style of politics, like there was no women in Irish politics then, that I think the biggest barrier is perhaps biggest parties because we don't have a problem for example in the social democrats and engaging women and um, you know we've got more female tds than male we've got more female councillors than male and not by a lot like it's still very balanced and that's good but it just doesn't even come into play i don't understand how other parties are spending so many thousands of euros to try and engage women and just being completely unsuccessful it's obviously a deeply ingrained institutional problem within the parties that needs to be addressed and i just think god is it not high time we had you know, new parties and government that actually could, you know, if, if that, if that, you know, culture within the party exists of, you know, equality and female participation, then of course it would increase in politics in general. Besides um, a home or a car or a computer, what's the most expensive thing you've ever bought? Because it probably is car. Um, That is such a tricky question. Hang on. Holidays? Mm, it has to be an object. Oh. Andrea is nodding at this. No, I'm saying. Should no, be... experiences are equally as valid, I think, in this day and age. People don't buy loads of things. Hopefully. I'm trying to think. Like, I suppose it'd be like things on the farm, like, you know, re-roofing the shed or the tractor and things, you know, would be... But that's work related, so it doesn't count either, does it? We'll give uh, you, your, we'll give you your, your holiday, your holiday expense. Okay. Describe your perfect night out. Uh, dinner and drinks with the girls. Fair. Um, very relatable. You're, you're being extra relatable today, Holly. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is it that drew you to a political career? Um, it was the referendum to repeal the 8th. Um, so I had been, it was kind of a slow move into politics and I never thought of myself as politically engaged. I thought of myself just completely disillusioned with Irish politics. Like I finished school in 2008 during the recession. Everyone was just like, move abroad, <laughs> go to university, move abroad. You know, that was kind of the two options. And I just thought they were all so corrupt and I just couldn't, you know, even fathom the idea of joining a political party. I thought it was a dirty word. Um, but I did then, I remember when I was about 18 or 19, you know, going out and protesting about the banks. So I suppose that's kind of political engagement. And then um, when there was a presidential election, I think it was like 2009 or something. Um, I remember just thinking that one of the biggest injustices basically in the country was the treatment of the LGBT community. Um, so I canvassed briefly for David Norris because I thought he'd be the president most likely to change that. Um, I was very happy that Michael D got in as well. Um, He'd also be very likely to change that. But um, then, you know, I was living and working abroad in Malta in disability support services, and I knew I was going to move home to take on my family farm business. So, uh, but ended up coming back earlier when that referendum came around, um, the marriage equality referendum. Um, and then, you know, I was back to work and doing my master's and stuff. And when repeal came around, 
got even more invested in that and kind of trained as a canvas leader together for yes and there was a you know i feel like i've told this story before but it was a light bulb moment even though i knew that affecting change was you know i knew that there was elections and that you know knocking on doors and asking people to vote was a part of that but i hadn't really realized that like knocking on doors asking for votes affect massive change like it, it was just such a moment of repeal in relation to that that i was like this is how it works you know um, and i suppose those injustices in relation to reproductive rights and marriage equality and stuff like that they had been addressed then what you know there's still things to work on obviously um but the biggest injustice facing us now and i think particularly the next generation is climate change so i really thought that actually in order to address that the best thing you could do is get involved in politics and ask people to vote for different policies to affect change in that sense. So it was kind of um, accidental, like I never thought I'd go into politics. And then we formed a branch of the Social Democrats of Cork Southwest, me and two other women who'd met uh, through repeal. We didn't even know each other before that. We're out every day and every night canvassing. And like basically just neither of them wanted to be the candidate. And we knew that we had to build the branch and to try and build the party. It's a slow start and you have to stand somebody in the election but at that point we didn't think we'd get a seat either so I was like sure look I'll stand you know the other two had more sense and then who we couldn't have predicted what would happen so it was an accidental kind of turn of events but what I'm happy about. <laughs> if the climate uh, crisis was was to the fore why didn't you join the Greens? Um, I did think about joining the Greens and I thought about joining all the parties properly. Like I really looked at their policies and, you know, like my, my, my mum's side of the family historically would have been uh, Fianna Gael and my dad's side of the family would have been a fall. Um, my mum had been a member of the Green Party, um, but she had left when they'd gone into government previously and kind of not kept up their election promises and stuff like that. So I suppose, honestly, I thought that... Uh, the Social Democrats policies were better, like particularly in relation to the biodiversity policy. And that was to my surprise at the time. You know, I did think that without ha having thought about it properly and looked into it, I possibly did think I would go to the Greens. Um, but I also think that it's the way you go about politics is very important as well as your policies. And I think Catherine Roisin, a voice stood out to me, is so honest and hardworking. And like to see, I remember seeing things like that, like um, Roisin walking from a ministerial position on principle not just staying in for the pension or whatever, just that that approach is so important. And Catherine and her kind of corruption exposing activities, that they're just so honest, so hardworking, um, that that approach is really, really important in terms of how they go about politics and then how they would go about governance. That, you know, the kind of greater transparency, things like that, more participation of women, all of that stuff really plays into it in terms of tackling any policy issue, especially climate change and in relation to a just transition. It's not just about changing the policies to reduce emissions, like social democracy is so important when you actually look at the reality of the changes we need to make in relation to climate change. Do you think the old school political establishment actually understands the impact of grassroots activism around the 2015 and 2018 referendum campaigns? No, I really don't. And I think it's only kind of in hindsight that I, I realized how great it was for for us for our team that we sort of started out in that field grassroots field I didn't mean to make that fun but um you know like even the approach that we would have on the doors I think was so different and we wouldn't have really known that because we'd never been out canvassing for Fianna Fáil or whatever but I remember um Claire who's, who's worked with me throughout from the beginning she's one of those women I spoke about 
who we started the branch with, um, you know, talking about during the election and uh, Fianna Fáil had knocked on her door and it was her partner took the door and they just kind of thrust a leaflet at him and headed away like, oh, you'll give us a scratch or you'll think of him on the day or whatever the, you know, the line, you know, kind of things. That, I, I wouldn't have even thought of taking that approach at a door because we'd gone through the repeal referendum. So you'd knock on a door and say, so sorry to bother you. You know, have you, have you thought about what way you're voting in the referendum? If they had concerns, you go into a conversation and discuss those concerns. So I think we had a really different approach without realising it, but it's a very, very effective approach. And we've seen that through repeal, that actual engagement. And, you know, I would talk to people on the doors about why I'd gotten into politics, what I wanted to do, what I wanted to achieve. And people clearly and obviously respond really, really well to that. Not just, if this is my seat. You know, people would say things like that in West Cork all the time. That's a Fianna Gael seat. That's a Fianna Fáil seat or whatever you're saying. That's Cork Southwest seat. It's not a social democrat seat now, like the people in the seats, it's this entitlement um, that actually people I think are really sick of. Mm. When you're on panels and in interviews um, and actually in the doll as well, you, you don't just stop talking when someone is trying to shout you down. Is that a strategic thing or is that just a natural thing? Um, I didn't know that I did that. So I guess it's a natural thing. <laughs> Very good. Um, what was your favourite item of clothing as a teenager? Um, O'Neill's. I think maybe that's a young teenager. Do you remember O'Neill's? Um, you know, kind of like a the grand. Yeah, my more sporty phase. You know, like playing ga and basketball and stuff. Would love O'Neill's. And then, like you know, when you got a bit older, it was like road jeans. I've been quite into them. And the buffalo shoes. Which jeans? Road. Road jeans are kind of baggy. I don't no. know. No. They were a big thing down here anyway, briefly. I'm more of the Eclipse and X Works era of baggy jeans. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, which living person do you most despise? Wow. Um I suppose like kind of Trump kind of springs to mind, but I don't actually spend time despising him. I have to say throughout the entire Trump term, I never followed him on the internet. I didn't once click into an article about Donald Trump. I felt like if we all ignored it, it would have been much better for everybody. Um, but I suppose he springs to mind, but I can't say I actually spend time personally despising Donald Trump. What's your position on the Free Britney movement? Don't know about it. Huh? Free Britney? Britney As in Britney Spears. Is she not free? No, under the conservatorship of her father. There was a documentary on it recently. Oh, sorry. Not aware. <laughs> oh, my, my God. Sorry. Um, we'll give you a pass on that one. That's okay. okay. Uh, you're clearly much busier than most people if you haven't engaged with that. Um, if you could pick one ministerial post for yourself, real or newly invented, what would it be? Um, the first one that springs to mind is agriculture. I would love to see uh, a massive change in relation to how we incentivize farmers to farm here and, you know, see a reverse from the kind of demise of the small farm. It's more sustainable, keeps people in rural areas. Um, I suppose another department that I would love uh, is justice. Um, Ooh, why so, yeah. is that? Um, I suppose I just think... There needs to be a lot of change in relation to that like you know and, and I suppose one of the issues that springs to mind is, is, is in relation to the institutional abuse in Ireland I know that that has recently come under the Department of Children um, but I think 
you know, I think one of the worst things in Ireland or the worst things I've ever come to know is the institutional abuse in Ireland. And it's the one thing that really, really confuses me about this government and successive ones that they haven't ever made a meaningful effort to provide any kind of justice for these people. Um, that, you know, just throughout this scenario with the mother and baby homes and before tuning into, I would tune into Irish politics for things like the Ryan report and the MacLeese report, the mind boggles. And I always just wonder like, why doesn't that minister just say no? Like perhaps there's a department there that are really stuck in their ways or they've got some approach, but like at the end of the day, you're the minister, just say no. I'm not tolerating it, I'm the minister, I'm not doing it. Um, so I would just kind of drawn to that department for that reason that I think, you know, as a society, we can't move on from something so horrendous. We're talking about the worst human rights violations on an international scale ever and no justice whatsoever. And it's something I'd love to see, love to see changed in, in Ireland. What's your favourite film? Um, one that just sprung to mind there, and it's probably because of my last sentence, is Philomena's amazing film. Um, I don't know if it's my favourite ever. It is very good, but I'll go with that one for now. It's relevant. I think people should watch it. Which TD outside of the Sock Dems do you have the most time and respect for? Catherine Connolly. Everybody says Catherine Connolly. <laughs> so inspirational she's so amazing so sound like i'm in absolute awe of her and her work she's incredible, incredible do you think it, do you think it could be possible for her to be an independent Taoiseach in a left-wing coalition government yes cool if you could do it all over what would you change I'd do politics all over every whatever way you want to take us what would i change um, God, this is tricky. Um, I wish I had the questions in advance. It would have come up with something really good. <laughs> and I can't think of anything. Where's the fun in that? Tell you what, we'll come back to that at the end. That, yeah. And now you're just going to be distracted the entire time thinking about Nancy. Yeah. Um, what so put it out of your head uh what's the biggest thing you've learned about yourself this past year um i suppose actually one of the things i've learned through having this job maybe is that uh you know you, you do learn quite a lot about yourself and i suppose maybe that um i can be quite obsessive and i think that maybe that's a good thing um in relation to this job so like i remember just being wholeheartedly obsessed with the referendum to repeal the eighth um you know couldn't stop canvassing, um, obsessed, 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 and became the same with the local election and the general election, and then around issues like the mother and baby homes. And I actually think it's a very, um, maybe it's unhealthy, but it's a very positive trait, I think, in politics to, to, be, to get obsessed with things, because that's kind of what it requires. Um, constant pressure, constant work, constant following it, um, and I hadn't quite realized that about myself before that I can be so obsessed with an individual thing completely. What book are you reading at the moment? Um, what's it called? After the Silence, um, Louise O'Neill, I'm sure you've heard oh, of her. Brilliant. Uh, we're all very proud in West Cork that we have this amazing best-selling author. Um, she's somebody that I've always really looked up to, stand out, uh, feminist, I think, you know, from reading her book, 
um, asking for it. I really and truly believe that that should be on the syllabus in all Irish schools. Um, she stand out and West Cork woman. So big supporter of Louise O'Neill. I encourage everyone to read her books. They're fantastic. Big up the Clonakilty massive. That's it. Um, is, oh, Andrea, I can't believe you put this question in. Is oh, Cork... <laughs> Is Cork really the real capital? Oh, yeah, we're the biggest county. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I have to say that I think my, you know, my, my dad's from Dublin, I'm half Dub. Um, I have nothing against Dublin at all. But the one thing that I find so frustrating about Dublin being the capital is the commute to have to go to the parliament. Like for Leinster House to be in Dublin, like I'd be all for making somewhere more central in the country now the capital like tip or something. So then, you know, it's like a you know, more even commute for everybody. Interesting uh, thoughts. Tip for a new capital. I just travel to Dublin for everything. You know, just geographically, it's not convenient. And, and our, our rail system isn't great now, in fairness. Um, what are you most proud of in work as a TD since you got elected? Um, I think it's that, like, being able to represent people whose voices aren't necessarily always heard. Um, in relation to survivors of mother and baby homes, people in the fishing sector, the agriculture sector, uh, women experiencing domestic violence, um, all of those things. It's kind of being able to be that voice that I always wish I, wished I was hearing. It's a real privilege to be able to do that. You know, I always would just be like, why isn't somebody saying that in relation to things like greyhound racing, for example? You'd be like, what? Um, you know, I, I always felt like there was just this I was always complaining. It was like, why are politicians always saying what they think we want to hear? I don't think they're right. Instead of saying what needs to be said. And it's so nice to just be able to say it instead of complaining. Okay, we're going to bring back the, the unanswered question before Andrea asks the final 30 second question. So if you could do it all over, what would you change? Um... such a difficult question I'm trying to think just in relation to the political journey you know so far like what would have been a good thing to change um perhaps like you know we were so often as a campaign like completely disregarded um I remember in the local elections like you know they would have put predictions in the newspapers or whatever in advance and they literally just didn't even mention my name they just yeah. left it out like as in she doesn't have a hope and people would say that to me as well, just face to face or like literally laugh at me for saying that I was going for the election and stuff. And I suppose it'd be like an insecurity part of you or maybe you're like, oh, you know, maybe they're right kind of thing. Like I didn't stand up for myself that much. I'd more just try and ignore it or whatever. And perhaps I wish I'd been a bit more assertive in relation to things like that. Um, I remember, yeah, just, you know, people in count centres, the condescending nature of people in Irish politics that maybe I wish I'd been a bit more wise to it. Well, I guess they're feeling pretty stupid now, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> there was the odd person, you know, after the election that you'd see that, like, I would never say I told you so or anything, but like, tell you so. Like, <laughs> it's okay to think it. Yeah. For the 32nd question, how do you feel about being called Ireland's answer to AOC? Oh my God. Well, biggest compliment ever, isn't it? She's just up there with Louise O'Neill for me. You know, <laughs> total inspiration. Catherine Connolly, one of those people. So obviously, I'd be like blushing when I see anything like that. Those are your 32 questions, Holly Carnes. Thank you very much. 
Thank you guys so much. <laughs>